You can have all the Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio podcast with our new app. Just search your app store, uh, Apple, Android, Kindle. We don't care what you use. Search the app store for Explorations Early Learning. Download the app. Give it a try. Cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Winnig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. <laughs> Welcome to Cause and Effect. I can't start a Tiffany episode without laughing. No, nope, it's know a why. rule. Doesn't matter if it's a countdown or a thumbs up, it cracks me up. It's a Welcome to now. Cause and Effect. I'm hey. Heather. Tiffany's hey. here. Hey, that's um, me. <laughs> we haven't recorded in a while, so I'm feeling a little giddy. Yeah. About, about this. Um, me too. Well, good. Anything you want to say before? Oh, uh, she disappeared. Oh, there she is. Um, I, I guess I'll say that mm, we're in the middle of moving, so nothing is where <laughs> it's supposed to be. So if I disappear, it's because I have to, like, move a long way to adjust uh -oh. things or, like, I can't find anything. But you're sitting in a child-sized chair, so yeah, you don't I'm, have to move very far. I'm sitting to in a tiny chair. I can almost touch the ground. <laughs> I hate moving. I'm going to be moving soon, probably. Mm, mm. Uh, I mean, I'm excited so to move, but... I'm not. I hate know, moving. All the process. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about adultism. Yeah. In this episode. Um, Tiffany actually posted um, just like screenshots of a couple of pages, something she was reading. Um, and I was like, we absolutely need to talk about this on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So um, Tiffany, I'm going to let you set it up a little bit and then we'll do the quote and we'll start talking. Cool. Uh, so my wonderful friend, Laura, just started working on a master's in social work and um, she's a very thoughtful person. And so after her first like week or so of school, um, when we all hung out next, she brought one of her textbooks so that we could all like look at it and see what she's doing and like what she's learning about. Um, and it was a cool textbook. <laughs> and those are not words I say together often. <laughs> right. Uh, but this book is called Readings for Diversity and Social Justice. Uh -huh. um, and there's a really long list of editors and I'm sure they're all wonderful people. Um, and it's the third edition. Anyway, there was uh, a section on ageism and adultism uh -huh. that I was really intrigued by because I'd never heard those words before. But just from hearing them, I instantly knew exactly what they were talking about. And it was like I finally had the vocabulary uh -huh. to explain this thing that I see all the time from grownups to children that drives me crazy. Me too. And, you know, we've we've done a few episodes lately about the image of the child and the societal bias that we have against children sometimes has come up in mm -hmm. a couple of those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I have always felt like maybe I'm being a little harsh to call that ageism. Um, mm -hmm. So I was glad to see I, I, I felt validated when you posted these. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks yeah. it's an ism that we need to really spend time totally. with. So. And I think when you typically think about ageism, you think about like, oh, an elderly person in a nursing home yeah. being ignored because they can't speak up for right. themselves. Or right. a teen facing injustice for, because somebody judges them. For them. But you never really think about a four-year-old being facing faced, ageism. faced with ageism. 
Yeah. Uh, actually, I have, um, she's one of my bonus kids, which is what I call the <laughs> friends of my kids who hung out at my house all the time, uh-huh. uh, who lives in Colorado and is a CNA working with hospice for the elderly, elderly I think. And we're talking about doing ep- an episode to, to look at the parallels yeah. uh, between, uh, that we're seeing in there. So this really fits into that, too. So um, where is the quote? Oh, there it is. Are you ready? Yep. So here's here's the exact the specific quote we're going to start with. Um, there is certainly much research and literature on children and youth, but very little that concludes that young people are an oppressed group group in our society with parallels to other groups. And then um, she the authors say that you know that's that's the purpose for writing this uh, this part of the textbook is to um, point out the reality yeah. of, of adultism. So. Um, I could, <laughs> I could go in so many directions. There's with so many directions. Um, I have a bunch of little I've... arrows written under my quote at this point, and oh, they're all like, like vastly different directions. Oh yeah. Well, I'm looking at. I know we. I said I was only going to bring these out if my brain died, but I'm going to start with them because I'm looking at them. But the mm-hmm. the article gives us some statements that are like examples mm-hmm. of of ageism or adultism. Um, and the one that really, so the third one on the list is don't touch that, you'll break it. Um, or yeah. you're being childish. <laughs> well, <I'm laughs> Duh, you're a child. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, uh, she doesn't understand anything. You're too young for that. All that kind of stuff. I've probably said a million times to a child at some point in my career. No, not a million to the same not. child. But, <laughs> but over the span of my almost 30 years, I've probably said a lot of those things. Um, you know, back to our conversation about before we knew better. Yeah. We start to really think about that. But even if you just look at that, you know, don't touch that, you'll break it. That's an immediate judgment mm-hmm. on that person you're talking to for no other reason than that they're small. Yeah. Uh, would you and, say that to a grown up? Um, I don't think many of us would. I wouldn't. No. no. Um, I'll never forget the day I said that to my dad. Don't touch that, you'll break it? Yeah. <laughs> It mortified me. I was in second grade, and I had made one of those um, nutter butter turkeys with chocolate frosting. And it was very, it hadn't dried all the way, and it was very delicate. And he was like, oh, what's it like? You know, he was curious about it. And I was like, don't touch it, break it. And he was like, geez Louise, is this, you really think that I'm just going to come in here and, like, ruin this thing you worked so hard on? Think better of me, please. Some reverse ageism on your part. um, No, and that's always... Something I talk a lot about with teachers is because something that really does drive me crazy is the way we have to, we suddenly are, are talking fake when we're talking to children. We don't use our real tone of voice. Mm -hmm. We don't use just regular statements like we would to each other. And that Mm -hmm. makes me a little bit crazy. So I do find myself asking people a lot, you know, how would you, you know, for example, um, a group of, of young children is moving, you know, maybe from the, the playground back into the classroom. And the teacher says, um, hold on, we have to wait for all our friends to be here before we can go in. <laughs> and I wouldn't dream of using that tone of voice in a serious situation with a right? friend. I'd do it to be funny. Yeah. Because I understand that it's ridiculous in an adult to adult context. And yeah. this idea that everyone is friends just because they're all the same size and age and trapped together for 10 hours every day. Um, ridiculous. Is ridiculous and sort of insulting, I think. And um, so I said that once in a, I was doing a training and somebody said, well, then what would we call them? 
And I was like, well, what would you call a group of adults if you wanted to, you know, yeah. use their names yeah. or just say, let's wait until everyone is here yeah. or why are we waiting? <laughs> yeah. Maybe half of us could go in and the other half could come along later. Yeah. Um, but it's that, that teachery talk that makes me a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, oh man. And, and the, the wait- assumption. I, I get stuck on detail so much, like the waiting. All it takes is one time of a kid. Why are we waiting here? Oh, because I don't want to leave Claire behind. She looks like, uh-huh. like that, that would be a bummer for us all to leave her here. All it takes is one right. time, and then suddenly as a teacher, if you start walking away, they're like, wait, wait, wait. Claire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Or even, you know, use your words and walking feet and all those things that we've talked about before is sort of dehumanizing, yeah. I feel like. Oh, which is, I think part of where this adultism is coming from is that we don't look at them as being as fully adult, fully human as we are. And um, any, to me, it's any time that you would say to yourself, well, I'm a teacher, so I can do that. (laughs) The running in the halls is the one that gets me the most in trouble Yeah, because our classroom is really far away from everything. So like I've got three seconds to run and grab what I, you know, more watercolor paper from the office, I'm going to run. But nobody else is but allowed okay. to run. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. Teacher. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Anyone else I'm a grown up. And that's, I think that's, that's another really interesting thing to, to stop and think about is we can rationalize almost any decision we make and justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's a two, three, four, five-year-old, however old, you know, in our early childhood range that we're talking about, we don't care about their reasons. It's a rule. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, so how many of us probably break the speed limit on our way to work in the morning thinking, well, it's only a couple miles over. <laughs> it's fine. Everyone else is speeding. But then a child who, you know, maybe threw a block or something tries to tell you what the, what, what the reason was. Yeah. And we don't care because we don't throw blocks. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, a, that's ageism. That's adultism, I think. Yeah. That's that's a power trip. Yeah, um, that's my, which is where my, a lot of suppression comes from. My big question about this quote is: Where is the line between ageism and low expectations? Mm. Uh, does there have to be a line? Can't it be both? <laughs> <laughs> that's what right? Josie would say. Why not both? Why not both? That is a good uh, because a, I mean I think point. I think that comes. That maybe is one of the reasons that low expectations are there Mm -hmm. is because we don't see them as fully human. So we don't expect them or we measure them. And I think this comes from that disculturing, (laughs) disculturing the cover of childhood, (laughs) discovering the culture of childhood book where very early in the book, the author says, um, we, we measure a child's ability, goodness, fitness, whatever, by how close it comes to looking like adult behavior. Yeah. And yeah. And so adult behavior becomes the only acceptable norm. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's bias in a nutshell <laughs> is when yeah. your own reality is the only reality that you will accept. Yeah. Uh, then then we're on some shaky ground and low expectations I think just comes from that. I, so I guess it's a result of the ism, the bias, mm-hmm. maybe, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I like that viewpoint. Because you'd have to, 
in order to have a low expectation of only children, you have to have this view that adults are better uh-huh. or that your age, whatever you are, is better. Right. Ooh. <laughs> Let's talk about ageism among staff. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh-oh. I can't even tell you how many times <laughs> I have heard. Oh, God. I can't stand millennial bashing. Oh, thank you. We appreciate it. I can't stand <laughs> talking about Gen Xers and Gen Yers because I have had just enough, as many problems as a supervisor from the baby boomer teachers as I do from those darn millennials who have no work ethic. Apparently we never yeah. do anything. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And that idea <sighs> that like, because you've been doing it longer, therefore you are better. Right. Yeah. When, I don't know that. Yeah. It's just so, if people just really paid attention, mm-hmm. you would see the reality is some older folks who've been doing it a long time are still struggling and mm-hmm. some brand new folks who are just coming into the classroom are are doing just fine but we get into this categorization mm-hmm. um, to be clear some old folks I want to bow down to because they are amazing yeah. and yeah. have learned so much and have so much wisdom yeah well thank you I appreciate that on behalf of the old uh-huh. folks looking <laughs> at you my people we appreciate (laughs) your support your sentiment on behalf of my people i accept your acceptance (laughs) oh now she's gone again oh there she is i just had to adjust the board back like a game Mm -hmm. um so Uh, but i mean oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say looking back at the quote do you feel like children are an oppressed group in society? In our society? Yeah. I think, yeah, I do think so. Yeah. Um, And what I've talked about before is just reading the titles of parenting books. I almost said adulting books. (laughs) Parenting books. Clearly we're on our top game tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just looking at titles of parenting books is all all we really need to know to say, yeah, we don't see children as valuable (laughs) people with rights of their own and it's all about how to control and how to win the fight and mm-hmm. um, most of it is anyway yeah so I think and I know that that will push some buttons for people because I know there are folks who have difficulty with just the word oppression you know with just the idea yeah. that some are oppressed and it's it's like any other sort of bias um it's not necessarily that you're sitting in your chair at night thinking about the evil people you're going to work with tomorrow and how can I slap them into line and, and keep them in their place. Yeah. We're not talking about that kind of an overtism, but it's just the way that we have been sort of socialized and it's the message of our society that until they, um, you know, are like us, mm-hmm. they are less than us. Yeah, And my job is to just keep my power over them until I can give them their own. You know, I, yeah, like when do you pass that torch? You turn yeah. 18 and now you've got more power. Like, what? Yeah. yeah. What? Here's your humanity. Yeah. <laughs> I've wrapped it up for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I get really fired up about this when I think about uh, 
public schools in general. Not to say every public school, because yeah. I work at one and I love it. Uh, but good just like every, the that system, should be our disclaimer, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, there's good everywhere. Yeah, but but that when you doesn't talk mean about... we don't fight when we see problems somewhere. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. Um, when you think about like the system of public education and how many parallels parallels are between that and the prison system, like that. Yes, that should be your first clue. <laughs> Yeah. That we have an interesting viewpoint about how children should be treated. That's that's for sure. And I mean, I have a real, um, I, and it goes back a long time. I, I think um, Jim Greenman was an author when I was first um, discovering that there was more to the field than more to the work than just playing with cute kids or whatever. And paper plates. And paper plates <laughs> and having colored in laminated letters on the wall. Uh-huh. Um but anyway, he he talked a lot and really helped to form my thinking about um, the dangers of institutionalization um, mm-hmm. and just the idea that whenever we have a system like a school or a child care program where you've got a group that have to get through the day together, there are things we do that without thinking that contribute to dehumanization. So stuff like... Um, addressing the whole group as friends instead of talking to individual children or um, even something as simple as if it's cleanup time and, and if you have to do cleanup time, um, which is a whole other episode because I don't think we need to. Um, but I guess Dan Hodgins did that episode pretty well already. Yeah. Um, go listen to Dan talk about it if you're curious. Shake yeah. bones. Pause, go listen, come back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, walking around and giving specific instruction to each child rather than just standing off to the side and yelling across the room that it's cleanup time or ringing a bell or mm-hmm. whatever. All of those things can build up over time. And it's when childcare becomes institutional that it can become harmful to mm-hmm. children's development and detrimental to their, to their well-being. So we have, again, this comes up every episode, I think <laughs> we have such a responsibility. Yeah. It's pretty amazing and such an opportunity mm-hmm. to... Uh, you know, we have we have the power to decide whether this is going to be one of those good experiences that help children grow or yeah. will this be one of those poor to mediocre experiences that just keep them, you know, from basic harm kinds of things, Yeah, um, which is not good enough in my mind. It's, Agreed. it's not enough that they're just still safe when you get there at the end of the day. I mean, of yeah. course, I want them to be safe. I'm not saying that's not a concern, But it can be but, so much more than that. Right. Exactly. That's that's not enough for me. Yeah. Um, Same. I'm I'm really sidetracked by your Empire Strikes Back poster behind you. Oh, it's from Pizza Hut. FYI. Yes. Yoda. He'd he'd agree. I think he would definitely agree. Yoda would agree. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, let's talk more about uh, identifying your own ageism. Okay. My ears um, fell off, but I'm with you now. <laughs> um, because I think that this is another, anytime you're dealing with uh, systematic oppression in this way, it's not initially your job to point out to everyone else how they're doing it. It's your job to identify right. it within yourself. Yes, which is difficult. It's difficult. And that's Very why difficult. um this quote really resonated with me is like, 
oh man, how often have I accidentally done that? Right. By thinking to myself like, oh, they can't handle this. Or like, yeah. you know, like, ah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. More, what I should be saying is I can't handle this today. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, that really is the, that really is a, a good thing that you just said that because you've probably heard me because scissors is a big thing for me on this topic. When we hide scissors from children or we take glue out or we only give them glue sticks because squeeze glue is messy. What we're saying is what, what, what we're telling ourselves is, well, they're just not ready for it. They, this is just not a good choice for them right now. Yeah. But what what's really happening is we're saying either I don't know how to help them learn this or I'm not willing to help them mm-hmm. learn how to use this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know someone out there right now is going, no, it's because of budget and glue is expensive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that I could. I uh, I shake my head to that every time. We have the had. budget thing? Yes. Because budgets are real. Yes. But my kids have had unlimited access to glue for five years. Right. And we just made it through one gallon of white glue. Well, it's because we used all our budget on paper plates and construction paper to make that Pinterest craft. Mm-hmm. And so now we don't have any glue money. Teachers waste more glue than anyone else I know. <laughs> Paint, too. Yeah. That's teacherism, Tiffany. Yeah. I get a little fired up. Yeah. But I, I think, I think you're right. We, it starts with, um, figuring out what, what does thinking, what does this new thinking about adultism mean for me, myself, my practice Mm -hmm. and changing yourself. And that's enough for the people around you. It's not, you know, you're not starting a list of all the things your co-teachers are doing that are ageist. Nope. (laughs) But maybe it's seeing, oh, I don't like that. Do I ever do that? And just keep it, I mean, just work on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that is so powerful when you, as a member of a team, say something like, hey, I realize that I'm doing this, so I'm going to change myself. Suddenly it empowers everyone else to feel the same way. Yeah. Or change their own things that they need to change. Yeah. I was so excited one day. Um, So most people, if they've listened to the podcast before, know this, but my job is primarily training teachers and mentoring and coaching people who are in the classroom with children. And uh, uh, one day I was doing some orientation with a new hire Uh and I was talking about children's temperaments and understanding individuality. And, you know, if we say this child is a slow to warm up child, that doesn't mean we're going to teach them to not be that way. It means that we're going <laughs> to adjust ourselves yeah. to meet, to meet them where they are. Yeah. And this, you know, this woman who'd maybe been three days in the classroom said, I just heard the other teachers on the team talking about adjusting themselves for a new child who was very quiet. I was like, ah, yes. Yes. Tears flowing. And that may seem really simple, but it's just, it's just that kind of changing. It's not coming in on Monday and being a brand new person. Right. That's not realistic. And then you're going to beat yourself up every time you catch yourself saying, um, you know, you're too little for that. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. Let me help you. Mm -hmm. Um, But just that one little, hmm, I think, I think I'm going to try and stop saying, um, let me do it. And that's mm-hmm. the first thing I'm going to try. And then mm-hmm. uh, talking with the other folks that you're working with and saying it was really hard, but I think I've, I think I've improved and I want to look at other ways that I can improve. And yeah. that's way more powerful than listing off all your co-teachers mistakes for them. 
Yes, which is something is. I used to do. Oh, no. <laughs> I think oh, I've told you I was the worst lead teacher. I was bad because I thought I was the only one who knew anything. And I was, oh, dear. Yeah. I, I can't believe that some of my assistant co-teachers, whatever, still talk to me. Look at how far you've come. <laughs> it's Jim Green. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I was the opposite in that uh, I started out as not the best lead teacher because I just wouldn't speak up ever. That's, yeah, I you see that a lot. You do whatever more. you want to do. Um, I don't like some of it, but I can't tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about that for a second, because I do think too, that if we see, you know, somebody engaging in something that could be potentially harmful for children, we do need to step up and say oh, yeah. something. So what's the difference there? How do we, how can we decide whether this is something I just need to reflect about myself or do I really need to try and have a conversation with someone else about some ages? practice? Yeah. 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 Uh, that's really a hard question. Yeah. It probably depends on too much to try and answer it yeah. now. But I think Everybody anytime that, I mean, just like with working with the kids, anytime that you can name an emotion or name a thing, it gives it power. So saying like, hey, I noticed that you use this phrase a lot. Like, do you think about it? <laughs> Are th- you aware that you're saying that? <laughs> Not no, in an I, aggressive way, but just in the like... Right. Um, I noticed that you talked to the kids in a way that didn't feel like we were on equal footing (laughs) because you were also talking to me in that moment and it felt (laughs) weird. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Or Or also wondering out loud, like, I wonder how children feel when we say uh, you're too young for that or I have to put that up. I wonder how that makes children feel about what we think about them. Just wondering out loud like we do with children. Exactly. Maybe would be because a good... Because we're all humans and learn in similar ways. Yes. Yeah. Not to say we were all the same, but <laughs> that, that I think is another part of the ageism. That like children... That we see them all the same. Yeah. Or I guess more so that adults can't learn from the same meaningful ways that children learn. Yeah. Adults have to learn in a very structured, organized textbook and then the reflection and then the den and the paper that's that's bs right okay so you're not saying that's how adults really learn that's just how we've been socialized yes yeah okay yeah because i i always think about um something i read in the book called training teachers which is deb curtis and margie carter um it's something like just because we're polite enough to sit through a lecture style doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that that's how we learn best yeah. But um, but you're right. The more we can put connect the active learning of children and the active learning of adults, maybe that helps bridge that gap and we don't see each other as so different. Boy, that yeah. sounded really like Polly Sunshine. <laughs> We're not that different. Let's bridge that gap. <laughs> I don't know who Polly Sunshine is. I don't know, but that's I've your never new alter used ego. That name before. <laughs> I'll add that to the nickname list. Can you see the nickname I can. list? I can. Is behind me here. I can. Um, it made me smile. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at just at the article again, and um, a little bit further in, the authors talk about 
using a mirror technique, um, reflecting what might be adultist behavior, asking questions like the following. And you already did this one. You know, would I treat an adult this way? Would I talk to an adult in this tone of voice? Um, would I grab this out of an adult's hands? And, but then the next one is, um, would I make this decision for an adult? Ooh, yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because as, um, okay, wait, nope, never mind. I need to go a different direction with that. But I think about things like when kids have to go to the bathroom. I was just going to say the bathroom is the number one one. Right. And you know that there are adults who are trained to still sit and ask permission to go to the bathroom. Yeah. You know, I'll be doing a training. And if I say, just go, if you need to go, we're all grownups. They still won't, you know, because mm-hmm. they're conditioned in that way. But if we were just sitting around at home. Yeah. You're laughing trying, at me because I couldn't see into my I, cup well enough to tell which side I, had a, an opening. I was waiting for you to drink out of the wrong side. I was I've easily, done it like three times already. I've been like, why yeah. is there nothing coming out of this? Cup maybe again? maybe a little Sharpie marker or something to mark it It's for really you. dark in this room and oh, like the cup is yeah, all I shadow see. right I now. I see. You're, you're, you're okay. So anyway, would we make this decision for an adult? Yeah. Or when to eat or how much to eat or mm-hmm. who's your friend? I mean. Yeah. Ridiculous. If we, if we tried that, I think, so our, the agency I work for has four child care centers that we run. Mm-hmm. And twice a year we close all the centers and do a full day of professional development. And sometimes we keep them in their groups by center. And sometimes we try to mix them up a little bit. Nice. And, um, they, they don't, uh, m- the majority of the feedback we get is that they don't want to be mixed. They want to be with their center. They don't want to spend the day with the people they don't know as well. They want to stay with the people they know. And, um, not saying that critically, but the reality is we do to children what we wouldn't want done to us mm-hmm. by assigning what table you sit at or mm-hmm. who you're going to do this activity with or who you can't play with anymore. Yeah. Um, and and we wouldn't we wouldn't stand for that as adults ourselves if someone tried to come in and do that. Absolutely not. Most of us. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wonder how that I mean, I think that just goes back to the fact that we are able to justify almost anything for ourselves. But for some reason when we are thinking in terms of children generalized, you know, the the group children um, suddenly we think we have to adopt new ways of thinking and talking when, um, when we don't really, we can just be, we can be fully human because it's sort of dehumanizing for us too. If yeah. we're using that fake tone of voice and fake words and. I would say uh, it's absolutely dehumanizing equally for the adults. Right. When they act in that way, uh, just because so, suddenly you are not a person anymore. You are not teacher. Heather, a member of this society. You are a teacher, Heather. Mm-hmm. You fully assem- put on your teacher hat, mm-hmm. and you're no longer Heather. You're teacher Heather. It's yeah. like, why, why? Why? Why does it have to be that <laughs> way? Why? Oh, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Oh, why? Oh, why? <laughs> uh, here's a question for you. Yes. I'm seeing some potential conflicts between mm-hmm. um, judging and oppressing children in this way. Okay. And help setting healthy limits and essentially teaching them how to do certain things. Okay. 
Um, I'm going to jump to an example so you understand because I see the forehead wrinkling. Right. Uh, I just like to wrinkle my forehead. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my example is um, we have a child who has trouble regulating food intake. And uh, I'm we do pretty much open snack all the time. Uh-huh. We do have like a, hey, we need to finish eating because like we're all going to go somewhere else. And if you haven't eaten, you're going to whine the whole time. Um <laughs> Just like me, I also yeah. have to eat before we leave. <laughs> what I'm saying uh, is I want to eat. Yeah. Uh, but if left to his own devices, he would eat everything all day, every day. And we've noticed that when he is given time to stop and digest, he then can move on and identify the feeling of full. Mm-hmm. So is that, you know, in that circumstance... Is telling him, no, you need to stop eating because I know better. Right? When is it? Yeah. Yeah. Where so is it oppression and where is it? through my head now. Where yeah. is it uh, helping with development? I think that this can fall into the conversation we had a long, long time ago about teaching children versus managing a classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not saying that adults and children have the same role. And I'll do the same thing. We're saying adults and children are both fully human, but the adults have a role as teacher. Mm-hmm. And and what you're describing to me is the teacher has done some observation. I guess it's you. So you've done some observation. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to dehumanize you by calling you the teacher. You can call me teacher. <laughs> All of the children just do. <laughs> the uh, You know, you've, you've done observation. This is based on what you know about him individually. You're helping him recognize his body cues. And I think that's different. Um, than saying now, everyone has to eat right now and be done right, right now. Right. And no one gets up until you've eaten it all or, yeah. um, oh, I like how thing. so-and-so cleaned their plate. Ooh. <laughs> and that sort of passive-aggressive manipulation uh-huh. stuff that we do. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it's different. And even in that, you've done the observing, you know what you want, and you just, the way you respond to them, to that is is very telling. If it's just, no, you're done. And you go to the teacher and say, because he'd just gorge himself if I let him keep eating. So I'm going to put this away. But if you're having that conversation with him, wait a minute. Let's see how your stomach feels. Let's see. Let's just wait a minute and see what happens. And if you're still hungry, if your body tells you you're hungry, (laughs) that's teaching. But I think that just sort of sweeping away and talking Mm -hmm. over his head to another teacher as if he didn't exist is... Mm -hmm more on the adultism mm-hmm. side. And of that seems incredibly hard to do with toddlers. Mm. I don't work with many tiny yeah. babes. Yeah. Like, where does that... I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not where is that line, because I feel like I'm I'm on the Magda Gerber side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they pop out as people with rights. Right. And feelings. Agreed. And yes. You know. They deserve yeah. respect. Well, and I think that's so um, um, talking over toddlers' heads about them because they don't, you know, they're not verbal and we don't think that they're going to understand what we say to them is a low expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, just because they aren't answering us in that same language doesn't mean that they're not deserving of that language. Yeah. 
Um, and I think it's hard for infant toddler teachers because sometimes they feel silly talking, you know, it's sort of a one-sided conversation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I always tell people is um, it forces you to slow down and and be aware of your own feelings and to it, it sort of forces you to humanize that baby or that toddler yeah. to still talk to them just like you would to an older child um, or to each other or not doing that over the head conversation. Mm-hmm. If you need to, if you need to confer with a co-teacher about a child, do it quietly on the other, you know, not over their head across the room or yeah, in front of everybody. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and even if, you know, there, that toddler's not sitting at the table thinking this is really dehumanizing. I feel really belittled and oppressed. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the cumulative experience teaches them about themselves and what to expect from themselves. Yeah. And so we can be part of empowering or tearing down in that again. Yeah. I want to like praise hands emoji you right now. Oh, I couldn't tell if you wanted to high five the computer screen. That too. Everything yeah, you, you just said. Yeah. Okay. Did it make sense? It sure yes. didn't sound like it. It sure did. <laughs> I'm right there but with I, you. I mean, I, I could go on and on about that. You know, even something as simple as, um, you know, I think about, about babies getting their diapers changed all the time. Mm-hmm. If we're just swooping in behind them, picking them up, interrupting their play, carrying them to the table, changing them as fast as we can and putting them back on the floor, um, we wouldn't put up with that if we were in the hospital for something or had to go to the doctor and they weren't telling us what they were doing beforehand or, yeah, you know, were ignoring us or not answering questions or talking to us or whatever. I would be really bugged by that. Absolutely. Um, uh, but, but it's, it's part of, we don't, we don't stop and think about it because we have this group to get through the day. So we want to make it as efficient as possible. Mm-hmm. when we should be, you know, if they're deep in play, don't interrupt them unless they've got that poop trail crawling up their back <laughs> through yeah, the onesie. Man. Then maybe they need to be interrupted. But um, coming up to them, getting on their level, telling them, I'm going to change your diaper now. Even with a baby, if they don't put their hands out to me, when I put my hands out, I wait. I don't just, you know, I'm not yeah, just going gonna... to handle their body because I can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But thinking that way and changing the practice changes our interaction, changes our our view of the child. So sometimes it's even more for us than than for that child. Than directly for the child, yeah. Got me all fired up. Yeah. That's what this is about. <laughs> We're bridging that gap. <laughs> Polly Sunshine. <laughs> oh. That is one thing I've never been called. <laughs> First time for everything. Something, something like that. Um, oh. Yeah. So good grief. We've done a lot with this. Yeah. I feel like we've, oh, there's only one base we haven't touched. Yeah. What is I it? I don't know if we have time to touch it, so I'll just put in my plug for it. Okay. Uh, what the heck, US of A? Why haven't <laughs> we accepted their rights of the child as designated yes. by the UN? Because we don't want to, um, because culturally, we really value parents, you know, any, anything that's seen as invading the parents' rights to do what they want with their children is very difficult to be accepted in the U.S. of A. Yeah. Well, and what the about rights, the children's rights? Right. Man? The rights of the child includes Ugh. 
we're not going to spank them anymore. And America can't make that commitment. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, it's amazing to me um, that, we, that we're one of, I think, three countries who hasn't adopted the UN's rights of the child. Agreed. Agreed. And especially with all this talk, this election about improving early childhood education in America. Uh-huh. That seems like kind of a hot button issue. Yes. But, but like, the only reason we're talking about that is for what we can gain. It's all all the all the validation or all of the rationale for focusing on early childhood or whatever is so that we can gain from them down the road. It's not because right yeah. now they deserve the best. And for Tiffany. adult gain. Man, yeah. now I'm looking at yeah. everything through this ageist view. Yeah. You'll never be the same. Oh, what have you done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading I'm reading a book called The Tragedy of Child Care in America. Ooh. Written by Ed Ziegler, is that his name? Something sure. Ziegler. Can't think of it. He helped start Head Start, um, and two of his his colleagues helped him write it. And and that's I'm right now in the chapter that's talking about um, why this why the United States couldn't get this comprehensive child care stuff passed in the 70s that they had all ready to go. Mm. And a lot of it is because we're so, you know, a lot of other cultures are interdependent. They value the village. And we are very offended by the idea of a village helping us raise our child. Weird. It is weird. But it's, I think it's the way, way we are. Yeah. Man. Culture <laughs> is weird. Culture is weird. Society, weird. <laughs> it's all weird. <laughs> serious. Oh, man. But that could probably be a whole other episode, talking about that. Yeah. Right child maybe we should do put a, a pin in that for yep. later Bing. Yeah. <laughs> perfect i pinned it on my pinterest board <laughs> uh okay any last thoughts about adultism oh it's gonna Was be a rough monday thought? with it i think is my <laughs> thought suddenly yeah. i'm just gonna see like every well, boys and girls walking yeah. feet i'm gonna be like hey yeah. just what are you doing right now <laughs> i'm not that's terrible advice don't do that don't That's, do that. That'll be my internal monologue. Right. That is Tiffany's bad advice for this episode. <laughs> Stay tuned. I've got Stay more. <laughs> we'll we'll have more of Tiffany's bad advice <laughs> in a future episode. Drink out of the back of your coffee cup. It's much more efficient. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Cause and Effect. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.